One Writer's Life, The Book Tour. Episode 2, An Interesting Encounter. Here I was, in Toronto. The sun was shining, birds were chirping, and I was strutting along the calm streets, dragging a small suitcase behind me. The world was my oyster, or so I thought. That little suitcase was filled with my own books, and in a few days I would be heading east for Ottawa, Montreal, and Halifax. It was the first stretch of my book tour. I would even be talking at Dalhousie University. That was quite a prestigious start. I had just been to my publisher's office, where I'd worked out the final details of the tour with the publicist. There really was no reason for things to go wrong. Okay, I had no experience in this. My publisher was a small one, with little money for such an undertaking. But she did have a publicist to help me. A big plus. Possibly. To tell the truth... That publicist didn't inspire much confidence. She certainly didn't look like my idea of a publicist, with her bleached white hair standing on end and her very many piercings. My questions bored her. She was remarkably vague. She preferred looking into a mirror on the opposite wall. And she soon let me know she had better things to do then just arrange a book tour for a little old me. Actually, I'm really a poet. But why worry? What could go awry? But then again, what did I know? As I mentioned, I was new at this. I had nonetheless taken certain matters into my own hands, arranging some of my talks and most of my travel plans. I loved having this opportunity to go on the road, meet people, speak about all the research I had done, the world I had seen. Therefore, I would use my publisher's offer of plane tickets to some destinations, continue on by bus in order to lower costs and prolong the tour. And here I was now ready for the journey and taking the rest of the day to stroll down memory lane. I grew up in Toronto, but left long ago. It's quite an experience coming back to a place you once knew. Everything is familiar, yet unfamiliar. Life has gone on without you, but in your memory things have stayed as fixed as photos. How well I knew these streets, with their luxuriant vegetation, their huge trees, these fine houses, emblems of security, looked so comfortable, so solid and the few people I saw so prosperous. Perhaps they were my former schoolmates. I wouldn't recognize them if they were. I could hardly remember their names. But what I haven't forgotten is how impatient I was to leave all of this behind, set out on my own, taste the big wide world. I wanted school days to end, and adventure, excitement, even danger to begin. My travels first began on dark nights, when I climbed out of my bedroom window, shinnied down the solid drainpipe, and wandered through dark backyards, peeking into windows, trying to learn life's secrets. 
Journeys were also snatched during school hours, and forging my parents' signatures was easy work. I charted every corridor in every station on the subway line. I knew every single bus route, and free transfers took me to the city's limits, out to where houses dwindled away to scrubby fields. And finally, once I gained courage, I left town altogether, set out for another sort of life. Now, all these years later, I was back, although temporarily, as a writer. OK, unlike my school chums, I'd never have one of those big houses. I also had little money. But is that important? Having to improvise, negotiate, make do can be far more interesting and stimulating than just purchasing what you want. And best yet, I've lived the life I only dreamt of back then. Emerging from lovely back streets, I joined a roaring main street, Eglinton Avenue. Up ahead I saw a man, a homeless person, sitting on a blanket on the sidewalk with two dogs. Absolutely beautiful dogs. I stopped. The dogs, perfectly friendly, came over for a pat. I have dogs too, I said. I miss them, but they're at home in France. So we got into a good conversation about dogs, like all decent dog owners tend to do. Then we exchanged names. His was Bert. And I settled down on the step beside him. From dogs we went on to other subjects, told a few life stories. His ruin had been alcohol, he said. But now, associated with a church downtown, he tried to help other homeless people with the same problem. He asked me what I did in life. I said I was a writer, that my non-fiction book, Finding Home, had just won a literary award, and that I was about to go on a book tour. Hey, I love reading, said Bert, and here I am, talking to a real author. Tell me about your book. So I did, of course. What author would resist? Wasn't this just another book talk? I mentioned crossing Romania on foot, my research in the archives across Europe. That sounds just wonderful. I could see Bert was sincere. You don't happen to have one of your books with you, do you? Suddenly I was quite uncomfortable. I was sure he was about to ask me if he could have a free copy. After all, he was panhandling on the street. That was his job. My job was selling my books. There was a conflict of interest here. Most people think that publishers hand their happy authors hefty piles of books to give away to friends, family, admiring fans, critics, would-be critics, and that nice lady who serves coffee in the delicatessen. However, that just isn't true, as we authors know. We do get a few free copies from our publishers. The actual number depends on the size of the print run, the marketing plan, the author's stature, and what's been agreed upon in the publishing contract. An unknown author takes what he or she can get, and that usually means around ten copies. Some receive a few more, others even less. Publishers aren't being unfair. They have to keep track of every book, including complimentary copies, because free books are the marketing tools they send to professional reviewers, bloggers, and anyone willing to spread the word. Authors are expected to use their own free copies in the same way. 
you shouldn't be giving a copy to your Aunt Sadie simply because you love her. Once you've used up your allotment of freebies, you just have to buy your own books, although you do pay less for them, somewhere between 40 and 60% of the retail price, as specified in your contract. Yes, I do have some of my books with me, I admitted to Bert. I have copies that I bought from my publisher and I have to sell them. I was feeling terribly guilty. After all, Bert was a homeless person. I, although very far from well off, did have a home. I'm not asking for anything free. I want to buy a copy. You want to buy my book? Sure I do. You don't meet authors every day of the week, and I like the story. You sure about this? Of course I am. How much does one cost? Okay, you can see my dilemma, can't you? This man, this homeless person, was about to buy a copy of my book at $22. This person had a plastic cup with a few coins in it and a couple of nice dogs to feed. I wasn't going to sell him a $22 book, was I? Of course I wasn't. But I wasn't going to give one away either. That would be ridiculous, especially in my position. I could, however, sell him a copy with the same 40% discount I had had. I wouldn't make any money on it, but I was doing a good deed. I could even chop down the price for him just to make me feel better. Are you really sure? I asked. It'll cost you $12. Great, said Bert, without the slightest hesitation. If you just sit here and watch the dogs for a moment, I'll cross over to the bank on the corner and get the money. And reaching into a pocket, he pulled out a nice golden credit card, then set off with a jaunty step. I sat stroking the dogs and thinking hard. A credit card. He had a credit card. I didn't. I've never had one, ever. If I wanted to make a success of this writing business, I certainly had a lot to learn.